Hello, boys and ghouls, and welcome to a death-defying episode. All about the life and career of our favorite scream queen, Jamie Lee Curtis. Join us, won't you, as we take a look at Ms. Curtis's reign as a scream queen and what evils she had to survive between Halloweens. This includes 1980's The Fog as a misty menace falls upon a seaside town. Prom Night from 1980, where the night of your life may be your last. And finally, go for the ride of your death on Terror Train, also released in 1980. So, dance like no one is watching, run like you're being chased, and scream like no one can hear you, as the Boys and Ghouls podcast pays tribute to the Queen of Screams, Jamie Lee Curtis. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Dumbies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing but dead folks. I want to kill the undead. So you ever so talk to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. Run the third switch! Not the third switch! Give my creation! of the caliber of the specific recipe that is Reese's. Can I have one of those paper towels? No. Um, I will just say hello, cat. Hello, Marshall, is it? Yeah, Marshall. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Welcome to episode 69. Really? Yeah. Hey-o. Last time we got together, you told me you had but would sit on yep. some spooky gab. And I was like, do you want to just... Get it out now, and you're like, no, I'll remember it. Mm-hmm. So I almost forgot it. Okay. Which is funny. But then I had some other spooky gab happen in the meantime. So whereas before, I was kind of scraping to find it. Oh. Then I sought some out because I was inspired by you saying that every once in a while you'll go, I need something for spooky gab. And so... Anyway, my first spooky gab that I held was uh, just going to be kind of a tongue-in-cheek joke about how my new apartment is haunted because lights are turning on and off by themselves. Now, it's an electrical problem. Spoiler alert, it's not a ghost. This has been checked out by both an electrician and a ghost hunter? Just an electrician. Okay. So, to be fair, could still be ghost. But more importantly, I went to... Longtime listeners of Boys and Ghouls will remember that Marshall and I attended horror screening in 16mm. Yes. Secret 16 is the program that Mike Williamson, a local horror buff, puts on somewhere around once a month. And ever since that first one, I have not been to another one until a couple of weeks ago. No, that was Secret 16. Yeah. Where he doesn't announce what he's going to show. You Gives just a show hints. up. Yeah, but you just show up and you watch whatever he's got. 
Yeah, which that one was like a real indie horror from like middle America. It was called Disconnected. In the 70s, yeah. I think it was an 80s, actually. 80s? Yeah. Okay, that's right. That's Uh right. It's coming back to me now. Yeah, yeah. Disconnected referring to the telephone, right? That's right. All right. It's a pretty interesting slasher, that one. But for this one, Boys and Ghouls friend, listener, and guest of our Behind the Screen series, Daniel Montgomery, went with me. And we saw Piranha 2. Piranha 2, directed by James Cameron. That's correct. Who, I guess his qualifications were he helped create the Piranhas for part one. I, I'm, I hear you. Yes, oh, I, I don't know. I don't know, know if you knew that. I, no. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Uh, although they would use footage from part one. Like, like if, it was, if it was just underwater footage of a school of piranha, that was like footage taken from part one. Well, the compulsive nature of and the completist in me, which admittedly isn't as huge as in some people, was a little disappointed when the titles came up on the screen because I've never seen the original Piranha. And so I was like, oh, no, I can't see part two. I'll see part one. <laughs> but then I remembered that I'm in a room full of human beings, including my friend, and I'm not just going to leave. So I tucked in, and we watched it, and it was so, so much So this fun. was also a surprise. You just, you just knew it would be horror. Yeah. The, the Secret 16. Yeah. He gave clues, and I think a lot of people in the audience had figured it out beforehand, but I I don't like to try to figure things out. I like being surprised. So you're um, like, you're in the dark, you got like a snack, and... Starts running, and you're like, Piranha 2. Okay. Right. Turned out to be a really fun movie. What was the venue? It was this, oh man, that was the other part that was really fun. Because at the time, when you and I went, it was in a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. And people were seated rather closely together. That coffee it, shop is no longer, sadly. It was a um, rather long and narrow coffee shop. Yeah, this was, we had an address, and it was over in Glendale. It was kind of on this side street. And when we were walking in, we like weren't a home? sure. Like hmm? A no. private residence? No, like an industrial area. Okay. And we're kind of walking down the street going like, are we in the right place? Now, I knew we were at least approximately in the right place because I saw a bunch of like kind of slightly awkward looking people in black with like dark makeup on their eyes and like a lot of tattoos. And I was like, those people are going where I'm going horror fans okay and that's how cat wound up at an industrial club (laughs) yeah so we go down this kind of alleyway and someone's like hey welcome and we're like oh and we walk in and it's just this empty space that was really eclectic and cool i'm sure it has a name it's a space you can rent it felt like it could have been an old church but i think it was just kind of an old like warehouse of some sort okay a small one but um nice tall ceilings there was a stage and a screen and they showed the film oh and there was a Q&A with the writer afterward, oh. which was cool he showed up and it was all in all a really fun night and it made me sad that I haven't gone to more of those and I want to go to more of them there's nothing like a nice night out to make you want more nice nights out. absolutely I don't do it enough and nothing like a surprise while you're out which this is sort of built into the, the right. evening to drive you outside on any night because like if you go out and you see something awesome on just like a random Tuesday, you're like, well, what's happening every other day of the week down all the other alleys in Glendale? Yes. Let alone, you know, everywhere else. You realize how much the world is just teeming with life and activities and things that people are doing. There's cool stuff to do, but it can't come to you. Yeah. So you got to head out and find it. Got to get out.
Kat. Hello. This month's topic is Jamie Lee Curtis. And I had written to you, we'll just cover her Scream Queen years. So not really Halloween that kicked off her Scream Queen career, but those things that followed. Right. Specifically, Specifically kind of the trilogy that all happened within a year, not even years. That's what I was going to say. The first thing I found out was the three big ones that we said we would both watch, Prom Night, The Fog, and Terror Train, were all released in 1980. So all filmed in 1979. Yep. So busy year for Ms. Jamie Lee Curtis. No kidding. Fog, Terror Train, Prom Night. How come Jamie Lee Curtis is in all of these movies? She's the Scream. So let's take a look at the one year of Scream Queendom out of Jamie Lee Curtis. And of course, then you had Halloween, the 77, and then Halloween 2, which was. Halloween was 78. 78. Mm -hmm. And Halloween 2 was 81. 81. Mm -hmm. As was Road Games. And that kind of wrapped up her Scream Queen reign. As she then uh, went off to look for other opportunities. It certainly followed her. Yeah. Nonetheless. What a year. And I think that certain of these projects had legs. And that even though she was off pursuing other things, they continued to be seen and seen for the first time by different people. It wouldn't be super long until home video became a thing. Mm -hmm. And it would take on a second or third life that way. So the uh, title... Was given and stuck, I'd say. Longer than... Much to her chagrin for a long time, until recently. Yeah. When she kind of decided to embrace it again. Well, I don't know how recent, because she did go back and do... Well, we know she did Halloween H20 mm-hmm. after Scream brought back a reinterest in her movies. Yep. And then there was 1999's Virus, mm. which I, I recall being a, a pretty uh, scary movie. But yes, it wasn't until she could call the shots... And she could move within genres and within projects. Did she make a return to horror? Once her control over her career was well cemented, did she go back to horror? At least she wanted to prove she could do other things and... And boy, did she. Yep. Now let me correct you on a couple things, okay? Aristotle was not Belgian. The central message of Buddhism is not every man for himself. And the London Underground is not a political movement. Those are all mistakes, Otto. I looked them up. Before we get into her later later career, we got to go back to the beginning. Who is this woman, Jamie Lee Curtis? Well, I'm sure everyone listening here knows this fact, but Jamie Lee Curtis is a Hollywood royalty, a child of Hollywood, a... Literally grew up in the Los Angeles, Hollywood area. Besides Hollywood royalty, I'm trying to think of a better phrase, and obviously I can't. Okay. Um, She was born in Santa Monica, California, Mm -hmm. to Tony Curtis and Janet Lee, who are both very big stars. I like how she took both their names phonetically, at least. Yeah. She was born November 22nd, 1958, which means that JFK was assassinated on her fifth birthday. Oh, man. Yep. Yeah, which Janet Lee talks about in, I watched this hour-long kind of biography of her with interviews with people in her life, her sister, Kelly, and her parents and things. But Janet Lee talks about having to continue on with the party. 
Okay, this rang with, with me. Poor five-year-old. Two facts just collided in my brain. One is I guided you towards the Kevin Pollock chat show podcast. I still haven't listened to that. It's real good. Okay. In which she reveals that she is the same exact age as Mariel Hemingway. Because mm. I was like, why is this story familiar? I didn't know this about Jamie Lee Curtis. I knew it about somebody else. I had not long ago listened to the autobiography of Ms. Mariel Hemingway. So I'm guessing her fifth birthday was also uh, 11 by JFK's assassination. The two of them, their careers would cross later as one of them made, I'm holding up a VHS here, Death of a Centerfold, and the other made, I'm pointing to a poster on my wall, Star 80, both about the same tragic end of Dorothy Stratton. How about that? How about that? So... Tony Curtis and Janet Lee divorced when Jamie Lee was about four. Okay. So she was pretty young. I think they had kind of a tumultuous thing going on. Tony Curtis had some substance abuse issues. I read his book on uh, just going through all my celebrity biographies or coming back. He wrote a great book about just the making of Some Like It Hot. And after I finished reading it, I was like, I'm going to read this other book that he wrote. Shouldn't have done that. Oh, no. Was it like the he's, gritty, real he, He's got of... some dark years, and it would have just been uh, more charming to have just left it at the making of Some Like It Hot. Well, nobody's perfect. So, Jamie Lee Curtis grew up kind of in the limelight in a certain way, and you can hear her talk about how it was a blessing and a curse. She was proud of her parents, but also like embarrassed to have so much attention because of them. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm sure that any childhood with famous parents is a strange one. And um, we all deal with our stuff, but like that. To have someone microphone. else's reputation precede you. Sure. In college, she considered majoring in social work, but quit after one semester to pursue acting. She made her television debut in an episode of, do you know this? I don't. Columbo. Oh, let's see now. I can come back. No, 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 no. I'll have. Um... I'll have a donut. And one thing I wanted to mention, because I don't know if I've told you this, I, I probably have, but one thing in, I... In, in our many discussions about Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, of which there's been a few. Our many discussions about life. Okay. My stepfather, who has passed, she was his number one crush. Oh, okay. His favorite actress. He loved her. He thought Jamie Lee Curtis was the hottest ticket in town. So... Okay. I always love that about him because I never met anyone else besides myself and Matthew and Daniel who love Jamie Lee Curtis that much. I'm sure that many of us are out there, but... Um, many listening now, perhaps. Yeah. Oh, God, she's got the most incredible body. She's an award-winning actress. She won a BAFTA for her work in Trading Places and a Golden Globe for True Lies, among many other awards. Many people know that Jamie Lee Curtis is married to Christopher Guest. Mm -hmm. They've been married for a very, very long time. And I'm so happy they're happy. How marvelous. One thing I did not know before I started researching for this episode is that Jamie Lee Curtis is a baroness. Did you know this? Yes. The Kevin Pollock chat show was quite thorough. Aha. Christopher Guest... And inherited the title of it, Baron. Yes, he inherited the barony of Hayden Guest. And I found this delightful footage of Jamie Lee Curtis at a meeting of British Parliament, like, yes. many years ago. She's just sitting there with a bunch of oddly dressed political figures, just sort of chatting them up and then talking to the camera afterwards and being like, it was such a privilege to be here, and then getting into a car and getting whisked away. And I was like, oh my gosh, 
she's royalty, sort of. More than just a scream queen. Doing this research kind of showed me Jamie Lee Curtis has been this kind of mythic person in my pop culture kind of understanding because Halloween was always my favorite horror movie and my favorite movie. And I've seen it so many times that she's not an actor to me anymore. She's just Laurie Strode. But, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis has worked so much. She's had a very long, very storied career full of all different kinds of things. And I... I never really appreciated the scope of it until I started looking into it because to me she was, you know, I mean, I've seen her as Laurie Strode. I've watched Halloween, I don't know how many times. I've watched Halloween H2O, I don't know how many times. And Halloween too. Like, that's just who she is to me. Sure. A larger than life quality that would just seem odd if not being Laurie Strode? Yes. Okay. 100%. Yeah. Oh, look. Look where? Behind the bush. I don't see anything. You drove by so fast that one you yelled at. Subtle, isn't he? Let's scoot back to when she made Halloween, low budget movie, her first feature film. If you want to hear more about that, we've covered it extensively here on Boys and Ghouls. Laurie, dear. He wants to talk to you. He wants to take you out tonight. When we covered that, we watched a lot of special features and interviews, and somewhere in there I got the impression that her being the daughter of Psycho's Janet Lee really helped. Oh, yeah. Get her. I mean, if apart. you're an oh. independent filmmaker and you're trying to cast your incredibly low budget feature film, you are going to foam at the mouth at the idea of getting Janet Lee's daughter. Yeah. If she's good. And she was. Ideally, yeah. And she was. She was great. If she was talentless, they wouldn't have cast her. But I think all things being equal, that really pushed her more to the top of the list. Yep. What are you doing here? We didn't expect you to see us all. Oh, any chance I get to see my baby? Uh, Oh. And uh, speaking of babies, any news in the blessed event department? Something I should be knitting? (laughs) Well, maybe a pair of socks for Linda. She's always got cold feet. Oh, very funny. (laughs) Following Halloween, the offers didn't come pouring in. She did an episode of Love Boat featuring her mom as her mom Hmm. and an episode of Charlie's Angels. And then John Carpenter, who she'd become very close with both Carpenter and Hill, said, sorry, Halloween was such a dud, which I guess it was a kind of a slow burn. Yeah. I feel like I remember reading that the Village Voice reviewed it horribly and several other entities reviewed Halloween horribly. Then the trickle kind of started and people ended up coming around, but it wasn't reviewed well at first, and I don't think it did well financially at first. It wasn't considered a success. Yeah. And so Carpenter was like, oh, back to the drawing board, and created The Fog. In Halloween, John Carpenter created a night of absolute fear. Now he has conjured an evil so intense, not even the dawn can drive it away. The Fog. A study in unrelenting terror. I had relatively recently seen The Fog for the first time um, before we ever decided on this topic. Oh. I just decided to watch it a few months ago because I was like, I've never seen this. And I'd heard the score a lot. I'll put on John Carpenter's music on like YouTube. I'll just find a YouTube playlist because I love the music. Not only his lost themes, you know, the albums he's put out recently, but like just his film score. The Thing is a favorite, but uh, The Fog is great. And I was like, I should see this movie. And so I just, I did on my own. So 
that was my first time. I was, you know, in my 30s. So when did you see the fog for the first time? I believe in the late 90s, still the buzz of Scream was still happening. And it was after Scream that mentions the fog, Terror Train and Prom Night. And Prom Night. I had gone and watched certain movies that are just mentioned right. in Scream. So I know I also watched The Town That Dreaded Sundown, just based on its reference. I have seen that. I in, watched that a couple Scream. years ago, and it was so good. So this was my first time seeing it, like, widescreen, mm. like DVD, which helps. Yeah. Because it was shot much wider than your average horror film was Good at the time know. and really brought in the scope of the fog which by definition is a landscape kind of thing you know it's when you see it creeping over the town or creeping off the ocean it's best to get it nice and wide also in the church that really helped oh yeah though as with everything you try to escape you tend to go to smaller and smaller places as your options run out yep. as happens in the fog. And keep a watch out for that fog bank heading in from the east. One thing I want to think about as we talk about these films that, because the topic of this episode is Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes. I want to try to keep in scream mind. Scream queen. Scream queen, right? So, like, we know her as a scream queen now. She's Which, as of the fog, she was not considered a scream queen. She was in one as yet mostly undiscovered horror film. Which is why I find it so interesting that in retrospect, and I suppose it's because she did all these horror films in such quick succession, and eventually Halloween became this mega hit. But you would think, at least I thought, kind of before delving into all this, you would think that like, okay, so she played Laurie Strode, Mm -hmm. and you'd think that logically it would stand to reason, oh, well, if she did three more horror films a year or two later... Probably she's playing the same type of character in each of them, which turns out not to be true at all. No. Which I think is interesting. There was a bit of a progression, especially once you include road games of her character. And I think that's kind of cool. You would think that they would just be like, well, she does this thing well. But as it turns out, her characters are pretty different in the films we'll talk about. Yes. What I looked at a lot was her character's actual involvement in the horror. Mm. So Halloween, she's creeped out plenty and her spidey senses start tingling yeah and that's a big part of her character that her mind wasn't clouded with boys no the, the, her mind was clouded with mr riddles down there staring at me yeah that something's amiss mm-hmm. she didn't have a beer in each hand and a boy in her bed that's right and, and she could uh be that much sharper well when ominous music is playing everywhere <laughs> you go what mm. of course you're gonna be a little suspicious sure listen i never hitchhiked before I just really want to be careful. Can I ask you something? Sure. Are you weird? Yes, I am. Yes, I am weird. You are weird. Yes. You're weird. Thank God. <laughs> the last one I had was so normal, it was disgusting. For the fog, though, she's, she's more like involved. She's like a hitchhiker, right? She, she's a hitchhiker just passing through town. Yeah. The level of danger, I think the movie sort of steps on its own feet. Because it comes right out and says, six must die to make up for the six people who doomed this ship of lepers a hundred years ago who were coming to shore, but set up a fire in like the wrong spot, which was, I hear, based on a true story. Really? Not lepers, but like there was gold on the ship that they wanted to steal. So they just put a fire where the fire shouldn't have been to guide in a ship and it wrecked. It's a dirty trick. 
So they wanted to take this rich man's gold, but the rich man was a leper looking to settle a leper colony for him and his fellow lepers that were on this ship. And um, the townspeople were like, you know what's better than having a leper colony next to our town? Money. Money and no lepers. Right. So a hundred years later. Kind of a cool story. Really cool setup. Well, this movie, for whatever slasher elements it had, had set out to be a ghost story. And once it was all edited together, it just wasn't working. And they went back and many of the, you know, hook moments or stabbing moments or anything with gore or anything that would let it compete with the landscape that their previous film had helped change. That's We looked at that some between Halloween 1 and Halloween 2, how John Carpenter made Halloween and now he's going to make another movie, The Fog, but he's competing with the landscape that he had just changed, which is now demanding more in-your-face frights and more gore. Right. So we went back and not only added more gore, but also some rather creepy moments, if you recall, when like all the horns start honking on their own in the cars in the town. That's pretty cool. And bells start ringing, all the phones start ringing, and lights go on and off. Kind of a uh, Jacob Marley situation a little bit. Yes, very effective ghost story tropes. As far as its staying power, like, I don't know how you could cosplay as one of those ghosts. (laughs) You can't cosplay as Fog. That's a great point. And then the ghosts were mostly added later. I don't know how many you saw originally. But they would just be in shadows. You never knew just how many there were. Which made it pretty creepy, but you're right. Not really practical for... For for living on in conventions for years to come. Right. Because you would just see, like... Well, they were in fog. They were in literal fog, these ghosts. So you would just sort of make out their general shapes. Right. Which, very frightening, that one shot, which then was repeated. I don't know if it was the exact same shot, but the setup was the same. In the church, where they're all just standing perfectly still in the fog. And it's just like, well, we're here and you're doomed. Yeah. <laughs> really. And then one of them, like, like the leader, got like red eyes. It's like, oh. Yeah. Pretty freaky. Yeah. But Jamie Lee Curtis's character, as you said, she's an outsider. Mm -hmm. She's not a townsperson. No. And there's only going to be a body count of six. So when like four have already been killed and there's like six or so characters left, you're like, well, like two of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But with every person that dies, you feel the others are that much safer. And that Mm -hmm. kind of takes away from... Mm-hmm. real, I could go at any second kind of fear that a lot of horror films right. provide by putting like a body cap. And you can actually do the math. Yeah. And go, six well, statistically. Must die. Yeah. And they're not choosy until the end where they go after someone who's an actual blood descendant of one of the people that screwed them over. Because Jamie Lee Curtis, she's just passing through town. She's just a hitchhiker. I think I'll go to Vancouver now. By the end of The Fog, most of the main characters, except for uh, Adrian Barbeau, who is in a lighthouse, who is a DJ in a lighthouse throughout the film, which I thought was just a wonderful touch for a... Cool set piece. Yeah, for for a seaside town. 
everyone winds up in the same church. They sort of get corralled in by the fog, so all of the principal players are there. So at that point of the movie is when Jamie Lee Curtis and her mom, her real-life mom, Janet Lee, who plays... I believe it was a real estate developer was her backstory. Someone in the town, like, yeah. Like a councilwoman who's putting together the centennial, who, when the uh, the local priest finds the journal and realizes that, like, the history of this town is built on murder, she's like, yeah, but we've already got this party happening in, like, an hour, so we might as well go through with it. Right. She winds up with Jamie Lee Curtis in the same church as they fight for their lives against attacking fog pirates. Well, not pirates. They look like pirates. Fog ghosts. But they don't have much uh, interaction, which Jamie Lee Curtis has said is all for the best. Mm -hmm. The two of them would be sort of self-conscious enough as real-life mother and daughter doing scenes together. Yeah. But it's nice to see them share the screen. They do it also in Halloween H2O. It's such a great dynamic they have in that movie. Oh, oh, oh. Damn it. Oh, Oh, Miss Tate, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean to make you jump. It's okay. Well, hey, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. So it was after the fog that, as American productions are moving north to Canada to get the tax break they were offering, she was first offered Prom Night and then Terror Train, both filmed in Canada. Indeed. So Prom Night. I think Prom Night was more similar to Halloween than the fog was. These are the girls of Hamilton High. Tonight, they'll be more beautiful than ever before in their lives. Because tonight is prom night. And someone will come to the prom alone just to watch them dance, to see them fall in love, to see them die. Prom night. If you're not back by midnight, you won't be coming home. She's back in high school again. Yep. And her character does not know she's in a horror film. Until almost to the very end. And I really like the fog more in that sense because she was a much greater participant Mm. in the horror throughout, really. You know, she wasn't in the town very long when, like, something weird happens to the truck. Like, something hits the truck. And then later there's a strange man at the door. And later she, for no really good reason besides curiosity, and she kind of likes the guy that she's with. They go out to the ghost ship. And I must say, as a guy who's a fan of ghost towns, ghost ships aren't bad. Mm. And you can revisit Jamie Lee Curtis on a ghost ship later in Virus. Have you ever seen Virus? I haven't. They find a ghost ship in that. But, you know, it's one of those, like, we're all alone, but we're not alone. Ooh. Kind of things. That's very scary. But, yeah, she helps find the body. And then later that body sort of reanimates. And she's there for that. So she's a, a much more active participant in the horror. Right. But in prom night, she's really not. And once you figure out who the killer is, you realize she's not even on his hit list. Right. And those folks who were targeted got like a shard of mirror and their picture from the yearbook like taped to their locker. And they're like, what is this? Some kind of joke? But she never got that. Right. She's just kind of there for it all. Somebody was in the locker room. Somebody broke a mirror. A mirror? That's seven years bad luck. It just occurred to me that all three of these movies we're talking about are revenge movies. Are they now? Yeah. Yes. Right? Revenge was a really good... 
well, uh, almost the only motivator back in the day. Wasn't it? I mean, it was. Um, my, outside outside of the of another... mindless evil of Halloween, which made it so Special striking. Special and interesting, yeah. By and large, if you're going to have someone hack up a bunch of reasonably innocent people, mm-hmm. then revenge was about the best reason you could come up with. A better prom movie would be Carrie, which this movie also borrows from. Certainly. When you get the bitchy rich girl and her greaser boyfriend out to create some kind of a revenge. Their plan, I'm like, oh, they skipped the pig's blood. But besides that, everything's kind of beat for beat Mm. with, with Carrie. Their big plan was to Shanghai them and take their crowns and come out themselves. I don't know what their end game was. Who knows? Just be like, no, we're prom king and queen. But you're not wrong. I mean, by and large, there's a lot that's borrowed. It's definitely exploiting the success of Carrie, for sure. And the as, as well as Halloween. Yeah, definitely. someone's going around killing people. When? On prom night. On prom night, which... It's, it's got to be a special night. Yes. Yeah. Hello? Hello? So Jamie Lee Curtis plays... A rather straight-laced character, not too unlike She's Lori. the daughter of the principal of the school. Played by Leslie oh, Nielsen. This movie came out the same year as Airplane. Which really? I, yeah, which I think was going to be the big shift wow. in the kind of roles he was going to be getting. So, I didn't know he was in this until I was up, watching the film and I was like, whoa, cool! Up, like, he was the get. He was like the Donald Pleasance. He was the respected... Seasoned. Um, seasoned working actor, yeah. Actor well that known. would lend legitimacy. yeah. To this film, although he's very serious, he's very serious on film. They do say that uh, he went around with a little uh, fart machine. No way. A little squeeze thing, which I've seen on special features of the Naked Gun movies, where while being interviewed or just on set, it'll just like be. Yeah. So disco had not yet died. Obviously not. So you get first. Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> it's so silly. She's rehearsing. They're rehearsing. You get this like detailed. I liked it. Dance, but it's all just to silence. So it's just like Jamie Lee Curtis, and all you hear is like the sound of her clothes rustling. See, I didn't find it silly at all. I was just kind of like, yeah, a girl can move. I like the idea that they're just sort of showing her in a moment of vulnerability, and I just love dancing. And she's good at it, so I, it was kind of fun. I had, of course, seen the big dance sequence before I saw the film, because, like, it's something people will sit you down and go, you've got to see this. It just keeps going. <laughs> um, and so I'd seen that, but I didn't realize there would be, like, a lovely solo rehearsal moment in the movie. I liked it. Yeah. I thought it was fun. The whole thing is that her sister... Oh, yeah, we haven't even talked about the when they were plot younger. of the film. Yeah, the film opens with a group of small children yeah, playing, well, like, hide-and-seek sort of But form, it's like, the killer is going to get you. Yeah, that was fun. Killers are coming! Killers are coming! And they're playing in this big, old, abandoned schoolhouse or mansion. Or... It was actually a mental institution. Ooh. But for the theme, I always just thought it was a school. Right. And she accidentally falls out a window, and then the window falls on her. Not just accidentally falls out, but, like, 
the kids gang up on her. She joins in on the game. So this is Jamie Lee Curtis's character's younger sister. She joins yeah. in on the game. They find her and then they taunt her like and she's 12. backing up. Yeah. She's backing up against an open window and they just keep pushing forward and she falls out. They definitely have like a major hand in. Oh yeah, yeah. Her horrible. And then they all run away and don't report it. It's very um I know what you did last summer in the sense that they're yeah. like we're never talking about this ever again. But there was a witness. Mm. And also a local pervert who got blamed for it. Poor guy. Then, while running from the police, got horribly burned. Then happened to escape from the institution, like, the night before. So, you can seriously think, oh, it's this guy. Right. But it's not. It's actually the character I thought it was. Spoiler, if you don't know. Here it comes, folks. Here's a killer of prom night. It was the other sibling. Who we haven't mentioned thus far. Right. But in the special features or trivia, apparently he was the twin brother to the girl that died. So, I want to bring him up, and I want to bring that twin brother thing up for the next detail, which is when they unmask him, it's like, oh my gosh, it was the younger brother Mm -hmm. who apparently has snapped a long time ago, and this is his big night of revenge. Yeah. And he's wearing makeup, Mm. which I think points to a couple of things. One, I think they were hoping to misdirect the audience with close-ups. If you could see some eye makeup, Mm. then you'd be like... Maybe it's a woman. Maybe it's one of these girls. Maybe it's even Jamie Lee Curtis that's doing the killing. Right. And then two, I'm willing to wager there was an abandoned or deleted subplot where he is taking on the personality of his dead twin sister. Totally. Yeah, real psycho style. Like, this movie is not, as slashers of the day were, terribly far away from psycho. Sure. Like, Halloween, definitely. Bits of psycho. Sure. Friday the 13th. Outside of the iconic music, it's really close to Psycho music. Sure. Psycho's shadow still loomed large over slashers. I saw that movie 50 times. One of my biggest takeaways about Prom Night was how effective the slasher sequences were. I found it very suspenseful, very kind of scary, really well directed, really well shot. Because I had only really seen the disco dance break scene, I just assumed Prom Night would be completely silly. I thought it was really well done and I'll definitely watch it again. I mean, it's dated and it's not flawless, but it was much better than I thought it would be and I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought it would. Hey, beautiful. Need a lift? No, thanks. Come on, I won't bite. So who are you? Seymour Crane. But, uh... They... They, uh, call me Slick. Favorite moments, or or just scenario for me, is Slick. The self-appointed Slick. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. He's the fat guy. Yeah. Who you just know just got his 70s van. Like, that day... And he's just, like, cruising for a girl that he now has the confidence to talk to. Yep. Gives himself the nickname. No one in his life has ever called him Slick. Right. He's Seymour. And if he asked them to, they'd be like, yeah, right, Seymour. Seymour butts. Yeah. Get out of here. But now he's got a van. And a cute girl. Van, 7 a.m., girl, 9 a.m. Yep. Prom, 7 p.m. Yep. Dead, 9 p.m. I know, and I'll tell you... Their deaths really kind of broke my heart because I was... Because you're invested. I was so invested and I was so charmed because it was really odd to me to have these characters. They're 
plenty, of course, plenty of teenage characters who get it on in slasher movies. But what was so fun about these two was like, they both lost their virginity to each other. Yeah. And they're both like crazy gleeful about having done that. And they mm -hmm. just want to keep doing it. And they're like, let's do it out here. Let's get back in the van. Yeah. And they are both having the time of their lives. It's very like to use a 2018 term, sex positive, they're just like really into each other and having a blast. And I'm like, don't kill them. Especially really following sad. the last couple we watched. Yeah. Which was just the guy was just horrible to her. That scene I found to be really upsetting because it was really real. I think so much of the, what we're talking about, these specific scenes mm -hmm. are what speak to why I feel like the movie is so effective and like, good is because these feel like real people like that interaction you're talking about where this yeah. guy is trying to pressure the girl to have sex she thinks she's ready oh and her friends are telling her just get it over with and it's like getting a shot right and these frank conversations that are like probably pretty identical to like conversations women would have with each other back then you know just let him do it you know Ugh. and then she's thinking just she's lie back ready. and think of england yeah and then she decides she's not ready and she says no and he's such a dick he's yeah. so mean to her about it oh. meanwhile over in the love van they're just on cloud nine yeah having the time of their lives she woke up and took me by the hand she's gonna love me in my chevy van and that's all right with me so when the killing does come you're like oh no and boy that happens fast for her and then <sighs> Looks like Slick's about to get away, but he drives off the edge of the bluffs. Now, I want to go back to your framework and the filter that you wanted to sort of think about with Jamie Lee Curtis. So her character in this movie doesn't, I mean... In so much as she's got, like, a dark past, she's mm -hmm. in kind of a sad, dark It's an anniversary. Movie. It's an anniversary. But does she know she's in a horror movie? She knows something's mm -hmm. amiss towards the end. She can't find her dad for a bit. But, but like, you That's know. not anything. Um, oh, I just wanted to mention that I wrote down that the prom theme was Disco Madness. Oh. And the sign in the gym, when, like, all hell is kind of breaking loose, it says, Welcome to Disco Madness. And I thought that was such a fun... It's like, it means something when prom starts. You know, everyone's like, oh, Disco Madness. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Like, we're all having a good time. But when things go horribly awry, Disco Madness means something totally different. Especially when we think about the reveal of the killer and his ostensible madness. Yes. Um, that, that, I just that love was... that detail. I, I happened to notice it, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's the theme. The songs, apparently they used popular songs of the day to dance to, and then when they tried to get the clearance, it was like crazy expensive, as they should have known. Of course. So they had to create sound-alikes that sounded enough alike they got sued. Shit. In an approach that was better to ask forgiveness than permission, sure. basically. Well, I, for one, am thankful because they do look like they're dancing to the beat of the music, and mm. it is such a huge pet peeve of mine when people are in a club or whatever at the prom in movies, and this is more often than not, and everyone's moving. And the extras aren't on the beat because... No. There's no music There's playing. There's no music. Yeah. 
so we can hear them nuts. talk. Although no one's talking during the big dance scene. No. So. They are all watching magic happen. Century Fox invites you to join the boys and girls of Sigma Phi for their annual New Year's Eve party. This year is a masquerade on wheels, and the person behind you could be your best friend or the last person you see on Earth. Experience the most terrifying ride of your life on the Terror Train. That brings me around to Terror Train, which is a movie that I have known about since at least 1996 when Scream came out, but I never watched until last the, night. Okay. <laughs> I'd seen it before, but I was probably just burning through everything that got mentioned in Scream. Can't believe I never did that, by and, the way. And, and peripheral films. So I was just like, Terror Train, yeah, sure. Yeah. I don't remember being particularly impressed by Terror Train, but now that I'm grading it on Jamie Lee Curtis's character's participation in the overall horror of this Jamie Lee Curtis movie, I'm giving Terror Train pretty high marks. Yeah, it's up there if you're grading it on that. Come on. You're gonna love it. You're gonna need both your hands free. You're gonna be wearing that beanie all year if you don't get late tonight. Late, sir? The fraternity spares no expense when it comes to partying. Okay. Fair kit. See what you can do. And the film opens with a scene that wasn't originally in the film. After you get laid. They wanted to make it crystal clear the cause and effect of, you know. Still wearing your beanie, I see, huh? Well, happy new year anyway, buddy. Hey, same to you, Doc. Again, by the way, the, uh, the fat guy. Mm -hmm. uh, character. He's pretty charming in this yeah, movie. Yeah, well, and in the, in the beginning he's like what I imagine uh, Slick was just one day earlier. And this three years earlier was I'm just going to call him a fat guy. And unless you've uh, laid with a woman, you have to still wear your frat beanie. That's the rule. I thought they were just pledges. Yeah. But most of the pledges, they, let's they, face it, they probably haven't been with a woman. They were laying down that edict, though. They're like, oh. at this rate, you're going to be wearing that beanie for all year. Oof. So the fat guy is like, oh, let's, let's see. I don't know. And then when we meet him again, like three years later, everyone kind of looks the same. But he's kind of carrying himself more. He's yeah. more charismatic. He's got impressions up his sleeve. That, the ladies love that, yeah, according to movie writers <laughs> <laughs> of that era. That's right. Just like the one guy who can do Groucho Marx really well. Yeah. Who was experiencing a renaissance. But as you taught me, a lot of characters in 80s slashers, for some reason, do like old timey impressions. Which in, in Friday the 13th, the first one had the distinction of even having a female character. Yeah, she says do she's an in the old mirror. Hollywood impression. She goes, I said, Lizzie, you know, <laughs> you'll always be plain. It's like, what is going on? But you mentioned that, like, you know, well, it's the if you want to impress a girl who are writing for these younger characters, it's what they grew up on. Well, as a cinema buff. Yeah. You know, just pull out your Cagney impersonation and right. watch them swoon. <laughs> you dirty rat. I already said you dirty rat. Yeah, but I say it better. So they arrange things for another character, not the fat guy. He's left alone. Kind um, of. Yeah. While they trick another pledge. It's so mean. It is, and Jamie Lee Curtis is a participant in this. A reluctant 
participant, but she does go through with it. She does. And I think that she thought, although she never verbalizes it, that there was a mannequin in bed. Right. And that this guy would get in bed with a mannequin. And they've said to him, we're going to like. We got a sure thing for you up in the bedroom. You're going to make it with this girl. And, and he's I all thought nervous. she was going to make it with a, that him and Jamie Lee Curtis would get together. But instead, she hides behind like something and just provides the voice for whatever it is that's in the bed. And once he gets in the bed, having removed most of his clothes, it's a corpse. Yeah. Because the pre-med guy has access to corpses. Bruh. And like this is wrong the limbs on fall so apart. Many levels. It's just awful. And he freaks, but good. Yeah. He gets all wrapped up in the. In Rightfully the, so. In the four poster beds, like yeah. netting. The canopy netting or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And spinning and spinning, spinning and, screaming. and screaming. And that's the last we see of him. Poor kid. For a little while. For a little while. Jamie Lee Curtis's character is upset. She feels bad. And Apparently she, carries she visited that him in the hospital. Yeah, yeah. That, that she, gets revealed later. She reveals that later on that she tried to go visit him. But so, so she's also culpable, which yeah. she definitely was not in any of the others. Like in uh, Halloween, she was his sister, apparently. Well, we don't find that out. Previous to that reveal, she two. was just someone he saw. A babysitter. Yeah. And in uh, prom night, she was never on the victim list. And so now in Terror Train, though, she's one of the less culpable, but she's still on the hit yeah. list, definitely. I think if she'd known there was going to be a corpse involved, she wouldn't have participated. Or his delicate mental state. Yeah. yeah. So, hey, it's three years later and we're going to party on a train. Yeah. It's, uh, th- there's this rich kid character who's like, he's cute and he's rich and he's an asshole and he's bought out the, the trip R- rent, rented. It's a booze cruise, but on a train. That's right. On a steam locomotive, no less. That's Old what's so fashioned. funny to me. It's like, it's not some like modern day, like bullet train or as modern as you could get then. It's like an old fashioned people shoveling coal yeah. to make it run steam train. It's New Year's and it's a costume party. And I feel like the costume stuff really only exists so that so the, the killer, killer can, can move. change costumes, which is fun. Yeah. Not just have one costume. So it's like first, like the guy who's doing Gracho gets killed and nobody notices, but then he's like on board. And, and, and what I thought was very clever was like the conductor sees a dead body and the killer cleans up the blood and then gets into the dead guy's costume and then starts pretending like he's just drunk. Yeah. And then... A girl takes that character into her birth with her. And then, is this? Because I, I know he does a thing with like a chopped off hand at, at some point. Yeah, he puts the hand of the guy who was originally in like the lizard suit. Because he was He's a black like guy. He's feeling her up with it. Yeah, so you see the. And guy's the killer's hand. not. Exactly. So. But her eyes are closed, so it's not like she sees it anyway. But then she looks down and it's like, ah, there's a hand. hand. She doesn't last yeah. much longer after that. No. I like to show. I remember you. Do you believe in magic? I'll have to convince you. Meanwhile, David Copperfield... Oh, my God. ...as the magician is on board, plying his trade. Made all the more mysterious by the fact that the guy who hired the steam train excursion for his friends, he says, I didn't hire him. I didn't pay for that. Yeah. There's just somehow a magician on board doing... <laughs> With swords. Yeah. So... And David Copperfield is dashing. He's very cute. And, and a much bigger part than I thought he would be. And I yes. never thought he would be a suspect. 
because I thought it'd be just like, okay, we'll get a young David Copperfield. At the time, they just here. say, we'll get David Copperfield. Yeah, we'll get this guy to play. He's only known as the magician. Yeah. And you see movies where it's just like they'll bring in a band and they'll play a song and then they get out. Yep. Or magician comes on, adds a little production value to the movie, and he's gone. These sort of outside entertainers who get introduced into films sure. to just kind of give us a little break in the film and then they just kind of go away. That's what I thought it would be with him. Mm-hmm. I thought that the movie would come to a grinding halt. We'd, Watch a magic we'd show. We'd see a full performance out of this guy and then just kind of forget about him. But no, he's involved. He's like, like see, Jamie Lee Curtis has kind of a crush on him. Yeah, we see a couple of formal shows. We see him in the kind crowd, of, kind of work in the crowd. doing tricks. You know, the asshole rich kid who's cracking wise. We see him giving him the what for, just like kind of like showing him with the magic tricks. But he's like, he's that's stupid. He's, he's one of the great jerks of cinema. He went yes. on to be in a Die Hard. Oh. As the guy who like gives the watch to Bonnie Bedelia. Oh, wow. That guy? Yeah. Right? Yeah. What a jerk. Hans, Bobby, I'm your white knight. But yeah, you're right. David Copperfield, Jamie Lee Curtis's character has kind of a crush on him. And, and then you start to suspect that he's the killer. Somehow, and he's somehow trying to insert himself into this group to like start picking people and off. And you find out that the killer had a background of magic because they've got like an old yearbook. Yep. Yeah, it got much more mileage out of what I thought would just be a really one and done cameo. Really. It's a rotten crowd. Listen to him. Well, it beats a six-year-old's birthday party. I have to have a quiet when I do my illusions. You know, pay's better, too. Hey, I thought you said you played fat parties before. They're not going to watch. Oh, uh, they'll watch. You want to reveal who the... Well, we know who the killer was from Page. It's the guy that they played the horrible trick on. Right. But, but they give you a couple of reasons to really kind of doubt or be unsure. You got a little run around. Oh, and now the to the scene where I really got on board this train. Okay. <laughs> Good one. Is the jerk isolates himself into like a stateroom. Mm. So there's a lot of room to move around. He locks himself in. I think like breaks the locks. Yeah. This is when everyone's aware there's a killer on board. Yeah. And they decide the best thing to do is everybody get into one spot. And he's like, well, if everyone's in one spot, I'm going to go to the opposite end of the train and just seal myself in. A really dumb move. Idiot. Turns out. And then he gets paranoid and he starts looking at all the closets. And the closets are pretty narrow. But he just kind of bursts them all open. And then there's this like space between the closet and the ceiling of the train. So he starts checking up there. And then he's just kind of tearing this not very large to begin with room apart looking for the killer. And then he just bah, sits down. And from on the other side of the stateroom, which is a bit of a distance away, is the couch and the room under the couch. And it's all dark. And he looks at it and shot back to him. Back to what he sees. Back to him. And you're like, any second judging by the music, like a hand is going to come out from under there or something. So he gets a lamp to protect himself. And as big a jerk as this guy is, you're right there with him. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh no! So he stands up, lamp ready to go get this guy. And then from the couch he was sitting on, out comes a hand. Bah, got him. Oof. <sighs> That's the yeah. last we see of that guy. Yeah. In any movie, that is a well-constructed yep. scene. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. I think for the most part, there are a lot of pseudo forgettable characters getting picked off. I do love the storyline of revenge. Does, and Does the fat guy live for a change? 
He does. Good. Yeah. But what we get, spoiler, 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 so, you know, you can fast forward if you don't want to know, but I was pretty moved by the reveal at the end. I thought it was really fun. I was a little disappointed because I felt like the actor, I wish I'd gotten to see more of what he was doing. I wouldn't mind going back and, yeah. and looking. Well, so we should say that it is revealed that... Or no? Yeah, no, 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 reveal, but like I got to reveal this in layers mm, or, or okay. like, like over in layers because. All right, because, do it your way. Do, do your thing. Well, I don't know when you figured out that the magician's assistant was actually a fella I fig- and I the didn't, killer. I didn't figure it out until he was pulling stuff off disguise wise, but I will tell you that from the moment I saw that assistant, I was like, she's quite tall and kind of Never odd picked up on it. Oh, I definitely did. It wasn't until they were trying to really hit the magician as being the killer and then the conductor is trying to like talk to the the assistant who's like this tall woman like where's your magician friend Mm -hmm. and he's like oh he's just behind the curtain and i'm like no no he's not the magician has killed the assistant and put on her clothes that's where i was at got it i thought that so you knew there was some kind of switch i I knew something i knew at that point the assistant was a man but previous to that point i thought it was a woman who had now been killed and her outfit taken for subterfuge. Mm. It wasn't until a little later I figured out, like, no, this whole time. Yeah. When his overall plan called for it, because the rest of the time he's running around killing people in sure. various outfits. Yeah. That must have been an exhausting... That was an exhausting few hours. Train ride for that guy. Yeah. Lots of changes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but And you got to perform well in your magic yeah, act. You got to deliver. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to go back and rewatch the entirety of that fellow's performance from the beginning because i did not catch on until pretty late and even then i was wrong because i was like well he couldn't have been her the whole time uh was he was a montreal drag queen oh amazing he he was not a professional actor oh gosh really because i felt like the short short moment that we get at the end at the end which also i think he's wonderful as the assistant like very um graceful and all of that but then the moment at the end where there's a big reveal that that's been him the whole time. And when he's looking at Jane Lee Curtis and he's got a hold of her hands and he won't let her go and she's really scared, I thought he was really fantastic. Yeah. I don't know how much this tells us about by the time Terror Train came out where Halloween was in its estimation with the general public i don't know how quickly the tide turned when did halloween 2 come out 81 so they would have been filming in 80 i raised the point because when roger ebert was reviewing terror train Mm -hmm. he said jamie lee curtis quote is to the current horror film glut what christopher lee was to the last one or boris karloff was in the 1930s so at least by this point in time when she's done i presume because Roger Ebert saw everything. I presume he had seen Halloween and then The Fog and Prom Night and now Terror Train. And so in his review of Terror Train, he's calling her the Christopher Lee or Boris Karloff of the current horror film cycle. And what Um, if she had continued that? Yeah. Indeed. Um, But after Terror Train was released, I don't know when she agreed to do Halloween 2, but around this time, she said no more horror. Of course, she also did a... Road Games, which was more of a thriller than horror and more action also. 
but she uh, laid it down to her management and was like, if I keep doing horror, I'm going to just only be doing horror forever. Yep. Which, someone should be so lucky in this game. Sure. But she knew she could do more and went out and made the opportunity for herself. But had to really put her foot down to say, like, I've been branded a scream queen, and if I expect to be anything else in my career, i got to start now. Yep. A controversial world premiere starring Jamie Lee Curtis. I am Inga from Sweden. Sweden. Which I'm wearing later. Hosen. Yeah, for sure, from Sweden. So I am late. There was murder on the loop. Yeah, rush hour is impossible. No, really, there was murder on the loop. <laughs> so you robbed the jewelers, turned one of your lovers over to the police, kept the other one on to help you find the diamonds, and when he dies, you commit perjury in the high court, right? Come on, Archie, everybody does it in America. Do you think I'm pretty? Yes, Beta, I think you're very pretty. You've got these great, big, sparkling eyes cutest little nose. An amazing mouth. Boys at school don't think I am. Don't come around. I like to slam people's heads up against walls. No! I did not! Wait! Calm down, please. I'm a child. I beg your pardon. I also, <laughs> I started watching Scream Queens, which came out, I think, uh, 2015. I'll say how much I'm wrapped up in Scream Queens. I went and rented a VHS of Death of a Centerfold and kept meaning to watch it today to prepare for this podcast, but instead just continually watched episodes of Scream Queens. And I was like, oh, I'll watch it after this episode. Yeah. Hold on. That yeah. one ended with a bit of a cliffhanger. I'm going <laughs> to... I'll just make sure everything's okay, and then I'll watch. And then I didn't watch. I just yeah. kept watching Scream Queens. Sure. So that's my best review. Well, and it's it's so fun, and it's nice to see, because understandably, as you've mentioned, Jamie Lee Curtis made a very concerted effort to try to transition to doing other types of films post this horror cycle that we're mm -hmm. talking about for this episode. And I fell in love with her in the My Girl movies. I loved her in Forever Young. She's done a ton of different types of films. Trading Places Trading was her places. big breakout. Right. And I mean, it was a, a great movie. I always got an extra kick out of it because it was set in Philadelphia. Right. And I could recognize the buses. But despite all those best efforts, and certainly she's been recognized with nominations and awards and things for these other efforts, you know, the thing she has been and always will be most well known for is Halloween and her kind of role as a scream queen. To the extent that there's this really wonderful documentary that's on the Halloween, I think the 35th anniversary Blu-ray box set, or maybe an iteration before then, but um, it's a documentary Did called... Did you just buy new things of Halloween, like every time one comes out? No. Okay. I just have a couple of them, but I know it was on a recent-ish set. There's a documentary called The Night She Came Home. It's a documentary about Jamie Lee Curtis doing her first and only, at least to date, I think horror convention a lot yeah. of people from the franchises and a lot of people when, from the horror world do conventions you know they sit in a booth and they sign things mm -hmm. she never did but she agreed to do one once to raise money for children's hospital of los angeles 
she pulled out some memorabilia she'd been keeping around for a long time, old masks from movies that she'd taken home. That's nice. Things like that to sell and, you know, but it was all to benefit CHLA and it's a hugely important thing to her. She cares deeply about children. She cares about being philanthropic. She's a very caring person. And that documentary is really fun because you get to see people meet her and it's touching and it's fun to watch her sort of deal with that. And she meets some people from films that she hasn't seen in years since shooting the films. But I do love that in the last several years, she's sort of re-embraced to great success the Scream Queen thing. Signing on for Scream to, Queens, which to literally a, a show called Scream Queens. Absolutely. And you can see in interviews about it, like press junket stuff, She's having the time of her life on Screen Queens. Like, I don't think she expected to enjoy it as much. And then to see the response being so strong, I think it's like given her like a newfound kind of love for and affection for what got her started. Well, and as we record, she has wrapped on, but it has not yet been released, the new Halloween movie, which is being called Halloween. I think it's being called Halloween. Okay. She could have lived the rest of her life without returning to the Halloween franchise. Yeah. Again, again, again. But she has. And so I I think your talk about embracing and embracing the fun of it all. Yeah. Rings true. Yes. I also had heard for years that she's written, co-written some children's books. Yes. And I came here today and you had one of them. Got out of the library. Another trip into the children's section of the library. I know. I thought about you. When I went yesterday to read a different book, she's written several. Some titles, um, When I Was Little, Today I Feel Silly, This Is Me, It's Hard to Be Five, Big Words for Little People, Is There Really a Human Race? The one I have in front of me here from you is called I'm Gonna Like Me, Letting Off a Little Self-Esteem. And it's a book for kids all about liking yourself. I sat down in the library yesterday and read the book Today I Feel Silly. The full title of which is Today I Feel Silly and Other Moods That Make My Day. And it's a happy little book. It rhymes, you know, every little stanza, you know, there are lots of fun illustrations, but it's a kid who's saying, today I feel this, today I feel this. And it goes back and forth between being really happy and being really sad. And it's a really nice message The last lines of which, if I may Mm -hmm. read to you, go something like this. I'd rather feel silly, excited, or glad than cranky or grumpy, discouraged or sad. But moods are just something that happen each day. Whatever I'm feeling inside is okay. I think that's a nice lesson for all of us. From a woman responsible for a lot of our love for horror. (laughs) Uh, have you ever seen Jamie Lee Curtis out in the world? No. No, I'm still alive. Oh, you, your head would just explode. Yeah. She yeah. drove past me on a you back You told lot. me that. You've told me that. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that was just Jamie Lee Curtis. Just kind of like like slow cruising like, like you do oh. on back lot streets. And then a gal I know who was out for a jog just kind of came the opposite way like 10 minutes later. And she's like, guess who I just met? And you said, Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, and she showed me on her phone. And uh, apparently Jamie Lee Curtis's move is to take the phone herself and position it kind of up high, get a good shot, you know. That's smart. Really control what's out there. Sure. One of my favorite things that I watch every year, Matthew and Daniel and I usually watch this like on Halloween just for fun. Or when we get together to watch Halloween H2O, which happens usually, I think in the summertime, I think it premiered in August. So we usually, on the anniversary of its premiere, get together and watch it. There's red carpet. 
Wow. I know. We love H2O. But there is red carpet footage of her promoting that film where Michelle Williams makes an appearance. You see Janet Leigh. She's talking with her mom at one point. But she's sassy with the person interviewing her because they're like, obviously this person has not seen the movie and or just doesn't know anything. didn't bother. And she's like, can you tell us a little bit about your character in this film? And she's like, my character, Laurie Strode. You know, and she's kind of like razzing the reporter a little bit because sure. you know rightfully we, and i love how sassy she we is. give you she's all booklets yeah and she's just very aware that way and she doesn't really pull punches and i love that she's kind of simultaneously wants to be a star she can't help herself but also isn't a people pleaser and matthew texted me today and said i love that she has always been and will always be exactly the same person. Hmm. Like, with her, what you see is what you get. She's not putting it on for you. She's a very honest person. I think that's really refreshing. I believe she has in her life reached the point where she's comfortable with herself. Yeah. And oh, yeah, lest we forget. Everyone that, else can look out. That's right. Lest we forget the moment, whatever magazine it was, where she was really unhappy with, um, this was like, I don't know, 10 years ago or something. Okay. I believe what happened is she was in a magazine. They took photos. She was unhappy because she noticed that they had Photoshopped certain things about her body. And so uh. she purposely had some photos taken for another spread in another magazine and made sure that they did not Photoshop her Lumps and bumps, cellulite, whatever. Mm -hmm. She looks great. But um, she was really indignant about, you know, what they do to people in magazines and how, what an unfair kind of standard that puts on the lay folk. As, as everyone leads. who's not being photoshopped. Right. And so and she presented to the world. made it a point to go like, hey, this is what my, what my body looks like. She's just so great. I love her. She's a powerhouse. All right. Uh, a lifetime, a career, a part of that career... The Scream Queen part was what we deep-dived into. We dove. Deep-dove. Along the way, because you know, we, we both watched different interviews and special features and, and such, I found this. I believe she was talking about Terror Train. Yeah, her character in Terror Train. But it, it seems to sum up playing characters in, in these types of movies. Quote, there are certain things a heroine in a thriller has to be. She has to be vulnerable so that the audience identifies with her and is rooting for her. But she also has to have an enormous inner strength to overcome the evil or terror that is pursuing her. Um, that sums it up. It does. And I think... For, um, for, to be a scream queen or anywhere on that, you know. We've never gotten so cute as to call other actresses scream princesses. Right. Or baronesses. Uh-huh. bum Or anything like that. They all just sort of fall under scream queen... I'd say if you make what just one, two, I think it's an films. overused phrase. I think just being a star of one horror film doesn't make you a scream queen. Okay. I think it's either volume or a really memorable film and could, or could really be quality or quantity. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, but I'm not the gatekeeper. Anybody can decide <laughs> for themselves who a scream queen is. That's fine. And. I don't know. I just, I'm always just like, in horror films as in life. Oh, wait, no, and, I was, I and, was thinking and, that too. I was thinking, when you said that, I was thinking, okay, vulnerability plus strength. Well, yeah. that's something that I think we all can aspire to. It doesn't have to be just women. But I think what's really satisfying about watching a scream queen, a final girl, if you will, slash yeah. a great survivor character in a horror film is that you see someone with vulnerability which we all have and we all relate to they go into it with some overcome. points against 
typically. Yeah, exactly. And that's so wonderful to see someone do that well because it we are able to live out our fears and then imagine our own triumphs through that person. And I think the old JLC, Jamie Lee Curtis, is really great at that. Yes. And uh, I know you've been walking around with years worth of inspiration from her and her characters. Definitely. And, you know, stock up on a few of these movies, put them in your brain bank. And uh, if you ever need help in life, you know, you can just uh, turn to that if you're that kind of person. I am. Who can, you can just sort of access performances uh, to just sort of help you get out of bed in the morning or uh, face down whatever it is you'd really rather not. Kathy Bates, who is another scream queen in my estimation, um, mm-hmm. sort of. But her role in Fried Green Tomatoes literally does that for me. I think about her character. It gives me strength. And that's not even kidding. <laughs> that's what gets you from the It can. From the bed to the door. I think about it sometimes. Yeah. Some I'm having a hard time. Tawanda. That'll mean something to someone listening. Um, I guarantee it. All right. Good. Well, hey, um, everybody, thanks for joining us. I assume you're Perhaps, if not when we started, that by now a fan of Jamie Lee Curtis beyond the scope of the Halloween films, which certainly we we enjoy so much, we've already done episodes on them. So we did this, the the movies that made Halloween not just a fluke. Um, of the three that we covered, The Fog, uh, Prom Night, and Terror Train, do you have a favorite or one that sort of stands out or I that, think, that you might revisit? Yeah, as far as featuring in a really lovely way, Jamie Lee Curtis, Mm -hmm. and then having other really great set pieces and sequences that were truly well done. Prom Night is at the top of the list for me. Okay. Um, The Fog is great for ambiance and for the other characters and everything, and it's certainly a really good film and I enjoy it. But um, Prom Night I came away with as as my pick. What about you? For kitsch, I'd go to Prom Night. For the outfits, for... I know all of these movies were made in the same year, but Prom Night really has that great 70s. It like, really does. It made right under the wire. It's a moment in time. For the 70s. And I think if I were to have people over, I'd probably watch Prom Night. And if The Fog had more characters, if it had that sort of Salem's Lot, small town, if we got to know more than just these like six people in the town, I know that might call for a miniseries or something, I would have been much more on board for repeat viewing if we got to know like five more characters just doing different things in the town. I'd probably be much more on board for The Fog. But between the three, uh, Terror Train. And that surprises me. Going into it, I thought watching Terror Train would be kind of a chore. Yeah. You know, just watch it for the podcast. And I had seen it before, but it was kind of forgettable at the time. Yeah. I mean, it had one genuinely frightening scene. There's that other part where, like, you think the killer's dead and that he's at the window mm. of a train, of a moving train. I know. But that was plenty scary. And just more participation out of our heroine Plus for, for a longer magic. amount of time. Plus magic. David Copperfield. My goodness. The Terror Train has a lot of character. It's a very unique. Maybe it's not unique in plot. Like, you know, it's a, it's a revenge slasher film. But there are enough things about it that are really unique to make it 100% recommendable and worth a watch. And that twist that we spoiled, I did not see that coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have to say, which Pretty is, crazy. Um, you know, that's that's why you pay the price of the ticket. Totally. It's for that kind of a thing. So for me, yeah, Terror Train. All right. 
folks. Uh, if you've got a favorite of her Scream Queen years, of course, you can widen that up to uh, the Halloween films, definitely. And go all the way down to Virus and those Halloween sequels, which came about years later. You finally, this last year, watched the, like, the reality show Halloween. Uh-huh. What was that called? Oh, yeah. Well, Matthew and Daniel and I watched all of the Halloween films last year. That's Around commitment. the Halloween season. Yeah, together. We got together and watched, including the Rob Zombie films. Yeah, we watched whichever one that, The Curse, I think, of Michael, no, is that a different, some of them bleed together, but the one where it's with Tyra Banks, where it's a reality show, and Busta Rhymes and everything, yeah, I've seen that one now. Okay. Yeah. Also with JLC. Yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, I planned on calling this episode just JLC. Great. Good. Love it. Well, I'll get on it. (laughs) And thank you so, so much for joining us, folks. Reach us at boysandghouls at gmail. Follow us on Facebook find us on tumblr and pinterest and instagram we're all over folks we're on the free portions of the internet no sense paying for what we have to offer (laughs) (laughs) and uh and cat any any parting words oh of course okay three of them Mm. they are beware the moon beware the moon